bet you he had the lips of Tom Hardy. You know that I was gonna say I thought really... I think he had the lips of Adam Driver in like The Last Jedi. I mean, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> to another episode of Romance and the Monsters. I am Marge. I'm Seth. And this week we are discussing the Beast of Bezik, which by the way, we were pronouncing wrong. I pronounced Bezik. I was saying Bezik too. But the audiobook said Bezik, and I was like, why is there a W then? <laughs> no, and I were I was remembering that they don't really pronounce their W's when I was in England. They didn't say oh. Cheswick, they said Cheswick. And I'm like, okay, so it's Bezik. All right, so it's The Beast of Bezik by <laughs> Emily Howard. Um, what is The Beast of Bezik All about? All right. So this book starts off with Astrid, who literally is a 26-year-old self-proclaimed spinster. Um, anyway, she finds out that her sister, Isabel, who's only 16 years old, take that in, um, is... Um, kind of being courted or, like, bombarded, I guess is the right word, by um, one of Astrid's ex-prospects. Um, he's an asshole. He's pretty much, like, the worst thing in this world. Um, anyway, so Beaumont, which is his name, wants to marry Astrid, not Astrid, sorry, Isabel, um, because she has, like, a lot of money for her inheritance, and it's just, he. I guess he wants the money, needs it, whatever. Um, but then they're also being raised by, like, their crappy uncle. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need the money. <clears throat> oh, Beaumont right. No, doesn't he doesn't need, need the, money. the money. He just wants the girl because he wants to get back at, at Astrid. Um, Astrid because she rejected him when she was 16 and he was courting her. Yeah. Yeah. And so he actually doesn't need the money. However, their uh, aunt and uncle do need the yeah, money. Yeah, they do need the money and they would do anything to get it despite even Beaumont being an asshole. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. He doesn't need the money. He just wants revenge, um, from Astrid because she literally said no, like she did not want anything to do with him. And she realized as he was trying to, you know, put the moves on her and try to kiss her, she's like, actually, no, you're not who I want. I don't want you at all. And then, um, you know, a woman saying no for this man was just not like unconceivable. So he decides to ruin her in the eyes of society and say that she, you know, slept with him he ruined her and like she's just a fallen woman so that allowed her she's a loose woman yeah <laughs> so that sadly ruined her you know entire season and then all the seasons that followed because no man wanted a ruined fallen woman or whatever so um the uncle was just you know putting all the eggs in one basket and hoping isabel would be a, uh, you know getting all that money for them and yeah, so basically what happens is that 
Astrid does not want her sister to live a life with Beaumont because he's an awful human being and she deserves better. So she decides to make her way over to the infamous Feast of Bezik, um, Thane, which I love his name, Thane. (laughs) Like, Thane. I loved it. Well, it's Nathaniel. I know. But Thane. (laughs) But I like Thane. I think it's a, a nice name. We finally meet our beast, and this man is lounging in what we call a Turkish or Roman bath. And he does this because the water, the salt water, helps him, helps the scars loosen. Anyways, Astrid is, like, adamant that she needs to see the, you know, Duke of Bezik. And um, she literally storms into his bathroom and sees him Mm -hmm. in all his naked glory. Mm -hmm. And it sounded gorgeous, but then our boy doesn't take her moment of awe as, like, oh, my gosh, it's a hot, like, male man. He takes it as, she's seeing my scars, and he just, yeah, yeah. it was it was sad. But anyways, he's very, very, very scarred. Like, there's no getting around that. He's scarred all over his body. Um, but, yeah, anyways, so that happens. Okay, what, what happened to him, is it that a... Do you say a bayonet? Is that how it's called? I think it's a bayonet. Is it like did it explode or something? I don't know. I don't think they really I mean, explained. I, like they only said like what caused it, but I wasn't sure what happened. I know that it, those things could ex- like explode by back in the day for whatever reason. I don't know powder or something. Um, I don't know if that's what happened because he's really scarred. Yeah, but then um, Emily Howard talked about um, how the the bayonet like left gouges and like deep scarring. So I don't know. I, like I'm picturing like isn't a bayonet like the type of gun that has like the uh, knife on the end of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I'm the, just I'm, I'm pretty sure the word bayonet appears in the book. So then, unless like he got attacked by like numerous knives. Like, from the bayonet, and, like, people just kept stabbing him and shooting him. Oh, wow. Ouch. I don't know. I don't know how that would have done it, unless, as you said, it exploded. So, he's scarred on mostly one side of his body, his face, um, and especially his back. His back is, like, the worst of it. Um, Yeah, anyway, continue. So, she sees him lounging in the bath. He's all scarred and broody. Yeah. He's okay, Thane was very broody, but like also very hot. Like so like Oh yeah. Okay, anyways, back to the story. So she comes and then she's like, you know, not that type, but she you know she arrives. Anyways. He's very growly. He's very beastly. He 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 wears his name very well. I love it. He growled so much. I loved it. Anyways, so she comes there and then she literally propositions him a marriage. She's like, okay. We're going to get married. I'm going to give you your heir, but, like, it's not going to be a love marriage or anything like that. And you're allowed to keep your mistress. And he's like, I have a very, like, healthy appetite. And then he's like, I want more (laughs) than one. (laughs) But all of it is just, like, a big game because, like. He just wanted to scare her off. Yeah, he wanted to scare her off. He did not want to get married. Marriage is not something that he believes he deserved. Um, Anyways, so that starts the whole, I guess, relationship. Because she decides to um, run away with her sister to his house to become um, the appraiser of all their antiques that the father had had before he died. And um, Bezik wanted to have a big auction with all the uh, the antique products. Um, so that's how that starts. So she ends up moving into his house before marriage. 
And he's got a, I gotta say, he has an amazing aunt. I loved Aunt Mabel. Oh, he does. Mabel is amazing. <laughs> I love her. She's amazing. She's... So she's supposed to be their chaperone. Yeah, well. She's supposed to be, like, their chaperone. And, like, she is, like, the most, like, not chaperone-like woman ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but you said, you said he doesn't want to get married because he doesn't think he deserves it. But I think it's also because he thinks that marriage to him is a prison. He does say that Uh, later on. I just wanted to add that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Maple, amazing. She's Uh, incredible woman. (laughs) I love her. She made me laugh so many times and I just love how like confident in her sexuality she was. Like, I know like this book wasn't like, I guess what you call quote unquote historically accurate, but like, I just, I loved her character. I don't know if it was or wasn't. Yeah. Cause I'm not like a historian, so I could not tell you what is historical, like historically accurate or not. Yeah. Um, It definitely belongs in this, like, new wave of feminist uh, historical romance. Yes. Um, Which I I kind of think is a, like, is a funny term in the sense that I think historical romance has always been feminist. I just think that in these new books, the conversations are happening on page. Like, the heroines are actually saying it and voicing it instead yeah. of just action. Like, like just showing it through their actions. Because, yeah. I like, most historical romance novels, I've like, most of all of what I've read from the genre has always had very strong heroines that, you know, are very decided in the path that they want to take. And are, it's all about, like tearing down the, the patriarchy you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's always been that but I think th- the difference now is that they're actually voicing it yeah throughout the whole book Astrid has plenty of like monologues if you will where she's telling um Thane why her like why she wishes things were different why she thinks she deserved to be his equal blah 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 yeah. so yeah that, I think that's just the difference but so I don't know like I just find the term a little bit funny because to me it's always been quite feminist of a like subgenre of romance yeah. but you know no yeah this book um yeah it focused a lot on the feminist aspect which I really I think we talked about it before like I'm not usually someone that likes books that are politically charged and books that like has an agenda such as like I don't mm-hmm. know like something that deals with like the politics or like feminism which I love mm-hmm. and like I love seeing you know strong females um but so I just don't like it when it's like the main point of the story like it's the main message given in the story um because I feel like it becomes too political and like people have different sides to take and it's just like it's a lot going on with the readers and also like the characters going on like in the story but um no in this book I just I loved it I felt like it was such a good compliment to the characters and like the storytelling and like it just like bring like raises a lot of questions that I think people like have it like you know, people just have questions that are related to, like, situations that happen in this book. And I feel like the way Amelie Howard talked about it and voiced it in her own characters and her own story mm-hmm. was just, like, amazing. I think she handled it so well. I think that if you liked this book, you would like Bringing Down the Duke yes. by Evie Dunmore and vice versa. I have that in my notes. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, because they're very similar. They deal with the same sort of questions and... 
you know, themes. And so, but I, I actually would say that I think personally the uh, bringing down the Duke worked better for me just because it's more obvious in the same, in the sense that the hero, he's not against women's rights. He just doesn't really understand it. He's not really exposed to it. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't really care. And then he's, here comes the heroine who is very, like, has very strong opinions about it. So for me personally, that tension of, like, him needing to come to, to, like, understanding her and why she's fighting for this cause. Yeah. Whereas in this book, it wasn't really that. Like, Thane was always like, oh, yeah, like, for sure. Equals, right? You know, he was just like, I want an equal. Yeah. He thought he was sexy, even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, he found, like, it's just a theme, I feel like, with the books that we've been choosing. These men find their women's brains so sexy. Like, their intelligence is, like, I have that in my such notes. a turn-on <laughs> for Thane. Like, he is yeah. so attracted to her brain. And I love it. I yeah. love to read it. I have that in my notes <clears throat> with how, so far, every single book we've read, I was like, romance gets... People often say, people that don't understand romance often say, like, oh, it's all about the smut, and, you know, like, they, there's not really any reasons for these people to fall in love. Yeah. Like, they're just attracted physically to each other. Like, I don't really get it, whatever. And so far, I would say that every single book we've read, the couples have had actual admiration for each other mm -hmm. that's not sexual in any way. Just yeah just admir like just being like you know what you're an incredible human being i just really admire you for everything you've done and like just i'm just in awe of you just yeah. period no like it doesn't have to be sexual and then it turns sexual yeah i just love this how they've all been they've they've all had that you know what i mean no i was just gonna say in this book like you see it like he starts off with like yeah oh my gosh i'm attracted to astrid but like he takes that step back and is like no i can't entertain anything with her because why would she want me but like he starts admiring her for her mind and like her intelligence and like her quick wit like she was so funny loved her anyways we totally like went off on a tangent but yeah we didn't how did you like this book yeah <laughs> <laughs> I loved it I loved this book I think my what I've been talking about for the past I don't know how long I think kind of affirms that I really enjoyed this book. I loved the characters. I loved the storytelling. I loved the romance. Thane was like everything I wanted in a tortured hero. Like I loved his character to no end. He's going in like the top book boyfriends. I loved him. He really? really? Yeah, I really liked his character. Wow. Like I loved him. And he was how he sounded so hot. Like let's be real. Oh girl. Well, okay. <laughs> Here's the problem. <laughs> I I did the audiobook. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if you want to read this book and you haven't yet, please do not do the audiobook for this for this one. It's not good. I mean, uh, all my respect to the narrator. I I'm sure she's amazing in other things and like it she, it wasn't that she was bad. It just her voices for all the characters were just off. He sounded oh. really old. So, I mean, I still thought, like, he sounded hot because of, like, what's actually written on the paper. Yeah. But, oh, God, the voices. Like, it really was a bit of a turnoff. So, I'm glad that you you read the book with your own two eyes. And I'm glad you <laughs> say that, like, he sounded hot because it it 
is something that kept me from fully enjoying yes yeah yeah really enjoying it and that's sad yeah. because like yeah in my mind he has like this hot great like gravelly raspy, raspy growly, deep yes. voice and yeah. like I was for it and oh gosh some of the lines that he said in this book ooh. It just uh-huh. did it for me. The only reason, why, like, thank God I was able to, like, as I was listening, I was able to remind myself, like, oh, I think he actually has, like, a really, like, low, growly, sort of beastly voice. Yeah. So, like, I I could still enjoy it, but, oh, my God, the, the narrator's voice just made him sound like he was 90 years old. I'm oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He sounded like a, like a grumpy old man. Which he kind of is, but... <laughs> yeah, he, okay, yeah. Kind of is. But, I mean, we love grumpy old... I mean, no, never mind. I mean, I liked it a lot, too. But, like, putting the audiobook aside, if you can, um, would you have enjoyed it a lot more? Like, do you think it's, like, it was just the audiobook that caused you to not enjoy it fully? I don't know, because, I mean, I think it speaks of the book, the fact that this, despite a meh, audiobook I was still able to enjoy it a lot true true so I feel like it says that it is a good book yeah. um I mean I still I enjoyed it a lot and I do have a few criticism but like most of it is like no I quite enjoyed it okay. so because you mentioned the auction right yeah and for something that was mentioned oh. so much in the book you would have thought that it would have been a bigger thing than what it really was because they just skip it right true you don't even see it happening like the whole point of that scene in the end is that he takes the money that he gets from the auction and buys her a land or i'm really hoping you can't hear the thunderstorm that just literally what you have thunder started out of nowhere marge <laughs> i don't have thunder and i live not too far from you <laughs> I mean, I live far. Not too far. Like <laughs> In my head, you live down the street. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um, anyway, hopefully you don't, you can't hear No, that. I didn't hear um, anything. But yeah, so he buys her a, I'm not sure if it's a building or just a property, like land. He bought her, I think. He said many buildings. All right. Well, I mean, I loved the gift. I love the gift. He it, like he tells her that she could open like a school or like a house for women who, um, like her, have been shunned from society and need a place to stay yeah. or need a place to rebuild themselves or whatever. So I loved that. Obviously, I just thought that the the auction itself was like, wait, all of this just for nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agreed with that as well because yeah, the auction was supposed to be like this big thing, but I also feel like it was like an excuse for her to be in his house. Like I don't think it was something that they were both too keen on. Like she was she had passion for like the the I guess items that would be in the auction and she had passion for like the meaning behind it and the history behind it. But like I don't think she really like or either of them cared about this auction. Like it was just supposed to be like an in and out like let's do it let's get it done and it was just an excuse for her to live in the house yeah and, and especially <clears throat> it it really wasn't something he cared about exactly he didn't care about uh the about the antiques like it was his father's 
which he hated. His father was a really bad man. <laughs> Can we say what we like what he did? Oh, the yeah. I love that he kept playing cricket with the uh, the antiques and would just break the vases, and everyone would be like, <gasps> yeah. "The travesty!" <laughs> because they're like really expensive, and he's over here like just throwing them at the wall because he hated his father and was just like, "Fuck you, dad." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and Astrid was like, oh my god, horrified. These cost a lot. What? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I love his servants. I loved them. They were so funny. And I love that they kept pushing for Astrid and Thane to be a thing. And, like, pushing for them to get married. And Thane's like, oh yeah, I'm firing you. You are my servant. That is all. But, like, I love that he keeps, keep, like, he keeps them around because, like, I guess they're his only friends, right? Honestly, all of the side characters beside the little sister for me were amazing. Loved yes. Them. Loved, loved every second that they were on page. The little sister I had a few issues with, which I think were mostly the narrator's fault. Just, well, I mean, I don't want to say that. That sounds really mean. But just the voice that she was giving yeah. her was making her really annoying. I don't know if she translated that way on page two, but she was, she sounded really annoying. No, I, I had a little like things about her as well that I wasn't too keen on. Um, I don't know. One being like, I get that, you know, she's sheltered and like she hasn't seen the outside world. I get that. But like, I, I don't know. I just feel like there was something about her character that I just wasn't connecting with. And I think it's also due in part that it was just an Astrid and Thane's perspective. So we don't really get her perspective on like, the things that were happening out like off screen or off page um that being her deciding to move back with her aunt and uncle um I was just like but why would you do that like it just like for me it just didn't make sense but I get it she had her own journey that she needed to go on and she had her own problems she needed to overcome she didn't want to bring down her sister um but anyways yeah there's just some things that she did that I was just like okay next <laughs> yeah but I do think I do think that the book, um, the book had something that I always find quite interesting, which is this sisterly bond, especially when you have a older sister that has to take care of the younger sister. Yeah. Uh, because their parents are dead, their aunt and uncle are terrible people. Oh, and yeah. So Astrid has always felt like she needed to take take care of, um, what's her name? Isabel. Isabel. Um, I'm terrible with names, if you didn't already know. Um, and what I liked, what, what I like about that trope usually is that it's always, always, always about the older sister realizing that she can be selfish and she can, uh, reach for her own happiness and that her life doesn't have to revolve around her little sister just because she's the parent now yeah it's always about like understanding no you know what I deserve happiness and pleasure ple pleasure too like it shouldn't all be about my sister and similarly it's about the little sister always understanding that she needs to take her life into her own hands and that this is about about her becoming independent and her own person yeah. Uh, not, like, attached to the older sister. You know what I mean? And, True. And... Yeah, I guess I haven't really looked at it that way. But I guess, yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, but, like, I think it was also sad for Astrid because, like, as you said, their parents died. And Astrid is 10 years older than her sister, Isabel. So I think in that sense, she kind of became, like, a mother figure. 
because like you know she was basically the only one that did love Isabel she had like Isabel and Astrid had no one else and she felt like it was her duty to make sure Isabel had the best life that she could have like any mother thinks of and like I think it's like it was really sad trying to watch her distance herself from Isabel and like Isabel I get it she needed her own life and she wanted to have her own life separate from her sister and what like I guess the life that Astrid had put out for her but at the same time it was just like so hard to watch because Astrid's whole life was Isabel and like yeah she does you know love Thane and does like you know want that life with Thane but like she was doing ultimately everything for her sister and like for her sister to just be like it's okay I got this like it must have been so hard for Astrid and even after Isabel like finding out that Astrid already married Thane and is with him Isabel was still like, yeah, no, I'm going to live my own life. And, like, that was, like, yeah. But why? Your sister already got married to the man. Yeah, because it, it, like, for Isabel, it was, she understood at some point that this was her, like, she needed to make a move. Like, this needed to be her own move. And, like, even though Astrid was married, because she doesn't know that Astrid is married for a while, and she's like, goodbye, I'm going to London, I'm going to fix this myself, this is my fault. Yeah. It's not my fault. But we're in this because I'm not married. You're not married. And we're in trouble. Yeah. And we need... One of us needs to get married. And if I get married, then we won't have both. Oh, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> because if one of us gets married, then Beaumont doesn't have... Uh, or and the and an uncle don't have power over us anymore. Anyway, so she she understands that she still decided to take matters into her own hands and cause a um, scandal of all scandals. <laughs> yeah, scandal. Well, did you feel like it was? I I don't okay, think this so. This is part of also part of my criticism of this book. I don't think that the Isabel storyline needed to be in this book at all. Um, I feel like the ending dragged, like, I feel like the book should have ended sooner than it did. Because after, after the I love yous and blah, 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 I just felt like it was, it was getting a little bit redundant with, oh, I'm, I'm like all about you. Oh no, never mind. I'm not like, I'm leaving you. You shouldn't ever love me. Like you should just leave. I want a divorce. No, never mind. Like, and then throwing in the Isabel stuff, I was just like, why are you in this book considering you have your own book coming? Yeah. Like, okay. I just, this is too much. This was my take on it. Um, I honestly felt like Thane was waiting for the other shoe to drop or <laughs> I messed it up. What is it? The, the other, other shoe to fall. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. And I hope everyone else knows what I'm trying to say. But anyways. I don't think, yeah, he was just waiting for her to be like, actually, no, I want more. I deserve better. And, like, he just wasn't allowing himself to fully feel that happiness. So I think Isabel's marriage to Roth being in this book, I guess you could see as it being important because he saw how happy Isabel was, which he already voiced that in the book, and he wanted that for Astrid. But, like, him not knowing that he is her ultimate happiness, like, I just think you know, was why he needed to see all I of that. I don't, I, it didn't translate for me. Okay. That part didn't translate for me. And I feel like the whole I want a divorce thing should have happened sooner. I feel like, because there's about three times where he decides that he's going to withdraw 
from uh, Astrid. He's not going to get involved with her. Yeah. It happens three times in the book. Yeah. I feel like it should have happened twice. No more than, than two times. Yeah. And I feel like that should have been the second time with him being like, actually, we're going to get a divorce because I think you de- deserve better and, like, she's married now. So, like, you don't need to be married to me or whatever. Yeah. Um, I just I just feel like one of those times shouldn't have been in the book. Because for me, it dragged on and it was just redundant at some point. Okay. But, again, still really enjoyed the book. Like, it didn't, like, ruin it for me or whatever. Yeah. But it just, I feel like I have to mention it because I really did think if, Like, at one point, I really thought the book was ending, and then I checked, and I was like, there's still four chapters left. How is that possible? Like, for sure, we've reached the end. But, like, I felt it after um, they said the I love you is, like, by the, what is it, the Prince Regent's house? By the princes. Yeah, yes, exactly. Same. Yeah, and I was like, okay, book's over, time for epilogue. But then I was like, wait, they can't rob me of, like, a sex scene of when she finally sees him. And lo and behold, the next chapter was that i have a weird pet peeve um that i feel not many romance readers will share with me i loved the scene where she sees him don't get me wrong loved i loved it they have sex she 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 finally sees his whole self which we can talk about in the monster discussion coming up um but my pet peeve is when the characters have sex talk for like a little bit and then have sex again and we have that scene too oh okay you thought this book I had too many sex, two sex scenes well just in that part because they have sex twice in that part and i was like why are they having sex twice here i, I don't need two sex scenes back to back like i don't like that i just give me one sex scene make it important but then if you give me two back to back one of them loses its importance you know what i mean okay. and they're both important if they're in the book I just, I, I don't want that. Just give me the important sex scenes. I want those. But don't give me too much of them in the same sort of chunk of the story. Yeah. Because okay. I'm just like, I get bored. I, or not bored, <laughs> but I just like, I, I need the, I need it to, to mean something for the characters. I think in like, I think both meant a lot to the characters. Because right now they're, at that point, everything like has been out in the open. Like every scar has been like revealed and like. Every, like, inner, outer scar has been revealed. Like, they fully are vulnerable to each other at this point. And, like, I think those sex scenes, I guess, were important for them. And, I like, I agree with you. I feel like having one meaningful sex scene is usually, you know, the way to go. But I feel like for these characters, I guess it's, like, their real selves finally it's experiencing that, like, that love and that sex that, you know, that they dream of having. And, like, we get to see two of those scenes. But, like, like you said, I think having one meaningful sex scene would just be just as impactful, at least in my eyes, whereas you think it's less impactful to have two. But, I don't know. Yeah. I saw it that way. Yeah. I, th- their first sex scene, I thought, was really well done in the sense that they still... I've been reading a lot of um, Jane Feather books. Oh, yeah? And Jane Feather has a thing in her books. Uh, at least the, the, th- the, the three that I've read so far have all had that, where the first sex scene is very um, not detailed at all. Yeah. It's awkward. It's short. You, you Barely anything happens because... And then as you get further and further along in the book, 
they get longer, more detailed because the characters know each other better. Yeah. The first time, it's like they don't know each other. So she, it's super sharp. <clears throat> it's not important. The second one is more important. The third one is more important. The fourth one is more important. So I love that. And I, yeah. I do think I kind of got that in this book a little bit because their first yeah. time, it's like, yeah, no, they both, they both have pleasure out of it, but um, he's still dressed. It's in the dark. It's not that long. It's kind of like what you would expect from a first time. It's very impersonal. Yeah, no, it's ve- it was very impersonal. And I feel like that was also, like, because, like, you know, they were they still had their walls up. Yeah, they want to experience sexual pleasure, but, like, their walls are still up. They weren't ready for, to have that emotional connection. And, like, as you said, it was dark. Like, his clothes were on. And it was just, like, in and out. You know, they experienced their pleasure. They had fun. And, like, that was it. Like, we've consummated the, mar- the marriage now. And that's Moving it. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I just, yeah, I love the progression as, like, as a couple throughout, like, the whole book. I just love them. That's it. I just love them. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that this book, again, like, we're really on trend, like, on, on trend. Is that what I'm trying to say? With uh, what we read, because every book we've read so far has had a, a woman who has used or learned throughout the book how to use her sexual power mm-hmm. in a relationship how to wield it so that she too feels like she's an equal she too feels like she has power in the relationship yes and this is no different because by the time they have sex the second time at the ball the masquerade ball mm-hmm. um she's the one taking control he's like no not here and she's like no 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 here on this bench in the garden which yeah <laughs> i have a note i have a note about this because I just think it's hilarious how in historical romance, you see very little bedrooms. Have you noticed that? They, they have sex all over the place. They have sex in, um, in, in, in like a sitting room, library, not in this book, but like in historical romance in general, like balls, yep. like the nooks and crannies of ballrooms, um, gardens are like, gardens are safe to, for no one. No one is but safe like, in the garden. <laughs> in a conservatory. I love how no one else happens to be in the gardens when they decide to have sex in any book. I'm like, but where? Like, unless you want to get caught and that's the point of the story and, like, someone walks in on you, then no, no one is ever in the gardens. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, gardens are not safe, people, in these no. books. It's like, you will get thoroughly ravished in the gardens. Or they, in a conservatory. Yeah, exactly. Do not go in a, in a conservatory. Oh, yes. and Or a greenhouse. Or a greenhouse. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Many a kisses have happened in a greenhouse. <laughs> and Always. in this book, we got, like, a full-on foot, like, fetish massage in a greenhouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean. Anyway, what I wanted to say. <laughs> I don't even know where you're going with this. I do it. They, 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 so they're at this masquerade ball. He's not supposed to show up. He shows up. She's jo- okay. This, here's another one of my criticism, but this is like a really small detail, and I know I'm being picky, but I just thought it was kind of weird. She's dressed as a fairy. She's dressed as a fairy. Her sister is dressed as Persephone, and he's dressed as eighties. I was like, shouldn't she be dressed as per- Persephone? Like. I, no, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, I was like, why could she not have been Persephone? 
Or he should have been like a dark fae or something, but like, why is he Hades if the sister is Persephone? I was, I, I felt that was really weird. Yeah, but I loved that he was Hades. Like, I just think, like, him as Hades, I was like, yes. Obviously. So is this book, was this book marketed as a Beauty and the Beast retelling, or is that just what people say? I'm actually not too sure. I think it might have been marketed as Beauty and the Beast retelling. Um... Yeah, sorry. It's um, Beauty and the Beast meets Taming of the Shrew in this laugh-out-loud and heartfelt Regency romance. So I feel like he should have come as an actual beast. And then Roth should Because I got excited when I heard, when, when it said that the sister showed up dressed as Persephone, because I was like, oh, is her book going to be Hades and Persephone retelling? And like, this is the author oh. setting this up. But then he was Hades, and I was like, wait. But he should have been the beast. <laughs> like, why yeah. is he not the beast? Like, Hades is a beast, but, like, come on. It was a come missed on. opportunity. It really was. It re- like, I love that he's Hades, obviously, because we love Hades on this podcast. Oh, gosh, Hades can get it any, any, in any which form. <laughs> this is the Hades podcast, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> We're rebranding, renaming. Yes. Uh, romancing Hades. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, missed opportunity on our part, because, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I all of this just to say that um, they end up having sex on a bench. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was good. But I was, like, laughing because I was like, how do you not recognize? I guess you wouldn't recognize him because, like, she honestly, honest to God, did not think he was coming to this ball. And then, so she sees this guy looking at her and, like, getting into her personal space. And she's like, uh, no, who are you? I'm married. And then he says, happy to hear that. And I'm like, ah! And then, like, it was just... Yeah, you know what else I, like, when she mentioned the masquerade ball and I realized that he was probably gonna go despite telling her he wouldn't be there, I thought for a minute, and I was like, Seth is going to be excited about this if this is true, but I thought for a minute that he would come as um, the Phantom of the Opera, like the Phantom. Like he would come with a, like half a mask <gasps> because he's half scarred. I really thought that was going to, but I don't know if Phantom of the Opera is older than like the time period of this book or not. I'm not, I'm a literature st- student who knows nothing about literature. That's what I am. <laughs> Do you think, I feel like maybe he didn't come as Hades. Maybe that was just like an assumption on both their parts. Maybe as readers, we should look at him as coming as the phantom because he was wearing like a mask with like horns and it kind of like resembled the phantom doesn't have horns no i know he doesn't but like i don't know if you have you okay did you see the movie or even you know the broadway whatever i saw i saw the very very old version of the phantom of the opera with like just the piano like no no voice like the black and white version (laughs) from like the 1900s why would you do that? Okay, I think you need to sit down one day and watch any version. I recommend the London version. Um, anyways, so um, he comes to the masquerade ball with, like, a bone-colored mask. It's, like, a full mask. And, like, he has, like, it looks very demonic, like, the mask that he wears. So that's what I was kind of, like, I was envisioning that mask. And, like, in a way, it kind of, was, it kind of like, echoed the idea of, like, the phantom coming to the masquerade ball. Yeah. Maybe that's the idea that we were going with for this scene of the book, but he yeah. 100% should have come as a beastly phantom because that's <laughs> what he is. 
Yeah. Just lurking in the shadows, not wanting to be seen. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, I don't want to say missed opportunity because what he was was fine. It's just, <laughs> it would have been great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. I so get it. Okay, and my last and final criticism of this book, and then we can move on from here. <laughs> he didn't grovel enough for what he put her through. When do you think he needed to grovel? Um, I don't know. Like, saying uh, I'm going to get a divorce and breaking her heart. Where, yeah. like, the five billion times he's, he went cold on her and was like, I don't like you, I don't even love you, I don't want to touch you, whatever. Like, come on. I really expected more groveling from him. Okay, for me, you know I love a good grovel. You know I love a good grovel. Like, I eat it up to no end. You know that. But I feel like in this book, I appreciated how mature Astrid was. And, like, she was very, like, aware of, like, her surroundings and also aware of herself. And, like, I think it also helped to have Aunt Mabel there as well to, like, talk her through what's going on and, like, keep saying to Astrid that, like, he doesn't think he deserves happiness. He doesn't think he's worthy of love and, like, a family. I think having, like, that, I guess, mindset and experiencing what she does with Thane kind of better, I guess, prepares her for, like, what's going on. So I don't think he needed to grovel in a sense. I think he just needed to believe that he, like, was lovable. And, like, I think Astrid knew that from the beginning, and that's why she's like, all right, I'm here, I'm mature enough to handle the situation, and, like, I know that it's going to be, like, an uphill battle. Like, it's going to be a struggle for us to achieve that happiness because of, like, everything that's been going on and, like, how she, like, knows what he's going through. Okay, you're probably right. And by probably, I mean you're right. (laughs) I just, listen, I just love to see characters in pain excruciating pain that's just where i live that's where i breathe that's me too man that's what feeds my soul my veins my brain my heart i just this is what that's where i exist so i just felt like there was not enough like actual physical mental emotional pain are you kidding i felt pain oh my gosh anytime he had thoughts i felt the pain, Marge. Like, I um, felt, it. felt it. Because I didn't. Okay, I have this scene. Let me read it. We are married, Thane, she said softly. Regardless of how our marriage came to be, we are not strangers, and I don't wish us to be. I miss our time in the conservatory and in the library. I miss you. I know there can be fondness and mutual respect between us, and I'm not looking for anything more, if that's what you're afraid of. And then he says, in his mind, what if I want more? The thought came out of nowhere, making Thane suck wind as if he'd been struck in the gut. He, he'd been the one who'd been adamant that more couldn't happen, that more was a basket of poisonous steaks that could not be reclosed once opened. That more would destroy him, and yet here he was entertaining the bloody idea. I feel like um, Thane, like Thane's character for me really shined in the, his inner thoughts. Yes. Because at one point when they're in the greenhouse, she says like, oh, blah, blah, this is beautiful, whatever. And he thinks in his head, you're beautiful. Yeah. And I was just like, that line, oh, love it. That like, that's like a, a shining example, that quote of like shooting oneself in the foot. Because like, he's the one that kept saying, I don't want more. Like, this is never going to happen. We're just going to get marriage and name only and that's it. But then like now he's like, 
but I want more. Like, I want it with you. And she's coming back and saying, you know, I don't want more. But, like, obviously she does in her mind. Yeah, the same way that she's the one to first come to him with a marriage proposal and he doesn't want it. And then the tape, the turntables happen. And then he's the one, he's the one who uh, wants the marriage because he's like, no, we got to get married now. And she's like, no, 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 no. And so I just thought that was funny because it just keeps, you know, switching between them. Like who yeah. wants it, who doesn't. And I don't know. I think that's yeah. really fun. But I'm, I actually remember now why I brought up the garden sex scene. <laughs> and it's because... Okay, so, y'all know, we are both, well, the three of us, when S is here, obviously, um, we're all feminists. We all love yeah. a good feminist moment in the book. Um, however, I will say, while I loved all of what Astrid was saying, and I agree with it, there's the one garden scene where they're having sex, and she's just about to freaking have sex with him and she goes on to rant about equality and I was like girl this is not the time or place we're just about to get frisky and you stop right here with like a rant about like feminism or whatever like come on I was like wait there's other moments to do this I'm like who talks this much like right before they're about to you know do the do Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, Astrid, this could wait. But I also liked that he's like, no, I want equality in my marriage too. And, like, I just feel like that echoes, like, our Katora and Lord Death. Because, like, you know how, like, he's, like, a personification of death, you know, in Hades. And, like, Thane is, like, Hades right now. And, like, he's pushing for his queen, which is, you know, Queen Titania or whatever. Whoever she was at the masquerade ball. Anyways, like, he's saying, yeah, I want equality with my queen. And I'm like, this is Hades and kind of like Persephone. Although she would have been better if she was dressed as Persephone. But you know what? I will take it. Because, like, you know, ultimately, Hades just wanted to be equal with his queen Persephone. And, like, that's what Thane wants, too. No, yeah. It it worked, worked into the scene in the sense that after that, you have this great inner thoughts of Thane that's just like all about her he's crazy he's like oh my god like this is so hot to me like her wanting equality is so hot to me so it worked in that sense but in the actual moment I was like girl later please like (laughs) not now (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) yeah no that was me too I was like no no please wait we don't have time for this (laughs) um oh my god okay I I think I know what we should title this episode what which is one of my favorite lines of the whole book astrid says because she can't stop thinking about thane naked and she says (laughs) she says lord above she was obsessed with ducal nudity (laughs) and i think we should just title this episode ducal nudity (laughs) yep i'm down that is it that is it but kate can we like that brings me to the humor of this book. Did you laugh as hard as I did? Oh, it is a funny book. I mean, okay. I didn't, like, laugh, laugh, but it was a funny book, for sure. Okay. I had moments where I had to put down my e-reader and be like, oh, my gosh. It was so good. Like, I feel like the humor was my type of humor. Like, I love the dry, sarcastic, borderline insulting humor. And, like, it was so good. This book had it in spades. But, like, my absolute, like, favorite line was um, at the beginning when um, 
she's like talking to him and um I think I shared it on my Twitter actually <laughs> and then um she's trying to find adjectives to describe like his character and then she's like you your grace are are and then he says abominable appalling atrocious he supplied and then she says I was gonna say insufferable but clearly clearly your intelligence is limited to only the first letter of the alphabet I was like I was dead I could not stop laughing because I'm like this girl is so witty I wish I had an ounce of her wit no yeah this book was real no this book had a lot of like really funny moments it's hard to make me laugh I'm not someone that laughs easily, unfortunately. I know that's sad, but um, when a book can make me smile, because I'm, I, I'm like, oh yeah, this is funny. Yeah. Like it did a thing. You know what I mean? It did what it had to do. <laughs> and this okay. book made me smile a lot. So. But it had me rolling. I was literally like laughing so hard to the point where like I had to put down my e-reader, and it happens, you know. <laughs> but no, I would like. Even down to, like, the ending. Like, I know it's supposed to be, like, a serious, like, ooh, we're finally seeing each other for the first time. The first thing she does is zero in on his, like, penis. Yeah. And she's like, wait, that's been in me? And then she, like, calls it Goliath. And then <laughs> That was funny. He's like, that's my horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of horses, do you think that the horses in this book were a metaphor for the characters? <laughs> Like Brutus and Temperance. How she can calm Brutus when no one else can. And she even compares him to Brutus herself later on in the book. So I do think it's like a metaphor. Like Brutus was such a metaphor for, you know, Thane. And like how she talks about how Brutus like had been through a lot. Like he had taken the whip and he was just like untrusting of humans. And I think that's very much like, mirroring what Thane has been going through and him, like, untrusting of society and, like, fully, like, becoming a hermit because he just doesn't believe that anyone could see him for more than just what, like, as a monster, I guess. And, yeah, no, I totally saw the horses as a a metaphor. Should we, should we just get into the monster discussion? Sure, because I have a lot of quotes to go with it. Oh, girl, same. There's a, I, I feel that there's a lot of, me- of, like, things that could count as the monster in this book. Yeah. First of all, we should probably start with Thane himself, the beast. Yeah. Um, of the novel. Yeah. Because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so do you want to go ahead and start? Yeah. Um, he himself sees himself as a monster. He calls himself the beast. And, like, I think that's really telling on, like, how he sees himself as a person. And I think his biggest monster is his belief that he doesn't deserve love and that he's unlovable. And, like, I think that's the monster for him. And it's, like, a big monster, of course, in their relationship because it follows him with, you know, Astrid and, like, their emotions towards one another. It's, like, his belief of, you know, being unlovable and not being worthy of affection and love in a family is what hinders his relationship with Astrid. I just feel like he voices it a lot in his head and also to Astrid. It's just something that he's struggling with, and I think he'll always struggle with it, but it's gotten better, I think, by the end of the story because he sees maybe I am deserving of something more. What's interesting with Thane, which I don't think is something we've had so far on the podcast, is that he's physically monstrous. Yes. Not because he is, but because that's how people see him and that's how he perceives himself. Yeah. 
Um, however, obviously, what's on the outside always speaks of what's in the inside and on the inside. And he's badly scarred both externally and internally. And I think that um, it's what's interesting, especially about it, is that yes, he is scarred by what happened, and yet you would—it's—it's it's scars that he got from something like that should be. Like it's an like not as an it's an honor, but you know what I mean. Like he got them because he fought a war. It shouldn't be something that's disgusting or laughed at or thought to be, uh, like to make him a beast. It's something that he got because he was fighting for a cause for mm-hmm. for something he believed in, and so, and yet it's turned into this twisty, disgusting thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so I just think that's really interesting how. What shouldn't be, what should be seen as like as something to be proud of, representation, yeah, like a physical representation of of what he's done for his country is yes. not seen as that at all, and it's, no. instead he's like shunned from the country or not. I mean, he self-imposed his own isolation, but you know, people do laugh at him. Tr- but in turn, bar, exactly whisper behind his back call him a beast yeah and I think he says that it like he just ignores and he learns to just not pay attention to it but like it still affects him and I think you really see it the first time he um he comes to the village and that's when Beaumont finds Isabel and Astrid and like everyone's looking at him and talking about him and like literally like hiding their children's faces and then like he just gets overwhelmed by everyone's like view on him and he's like this is exactly why I didn't come out in the first place the sweet scene between him and Astrid when um he's literally having a panic attack like there's no other way to describe it he's having a panic attack and then she comes in and she's like breathe um a low voice said slim gloved fingers weaving with his larger ones and squeezing I'm here and then he says her name Astrid and then he says her palm was like an anchor tethering him back to reason like a cloud fragmenting, his senses cleared just for her palliative grip. And it's like, the use of palliative, I think, was very, like, I think, on purpose. Because, like, at that point, she is taking care of him. She is, like, she's there helping him through something that, like, is something he doesn't want to deal with. And I think it's interesting how he when it's just him he's like he can get over what the pe- what people are saying but when she's yeah. involved he he he's not okay with it suddenly he's he's like i can go through this but i don't want you to go through this exactly. and this is a big part of why it's so difficult between them and why he keeps pushing away like uh, not pushing away pushing her away yeah <laughs> because he doesn't want her to go through this because he thinks she deserves way more but he like way better but he doesn't think so of himself I agree um but there's a really interesting scene where she goes in the like gallery room or whatever where there's like paintings mm-hmm. and she sees a painting of him as a child and she says um she lifted a hand to his youthful unmarred face her fingers tracing the rounded curve of his cheek. He looked nothing like the men now, of course. Bezik had been to hell and back, a journey that had taken more than its pound of flesh and left left its imprint upon him. He was no less alive for it, though Astrid knew he carried more than his fair share of pain. Uh, but she mourned for the boy he'd been and for innocence lost. Fate could be ruthless. 
Astrid supposed she was the same. Her scars, however, were twisted ropes hidden on the inside of her body and encasing the organ currently beating in her chest, while his were on the outside, visible to all. I think they relate a lot because of the pain that they both share, because they're both sort of on the outside. Like, she was shunned from society because of the scandal, he isolated himself. They both don't feel like they belong. Exactly. And this is something that he doesn't understand for a big part of the story, that she doesn't want to belong with them. She wants to belong with him. Mm-hmm. She finds that he's her home. Like, she, she, he's where she wants to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and for him, it's hard to understand that she doesn't want to be a part of it. I just thought it was really, um, like, a really poignant scene to see her see his face his actual face and and mourning for the boy like she sees the boy and she's like I know what you're gonna go through and and I like I just feel like that's her just hoping she can make him happy any way she can and that was I think a turning point in like the relationship between her and Thane because that's when she's like yeah I actually see him as more than just what he is now and I think, yeah, that's when she made that, like, not decision, but, like, that's when, like, the relationship kind of shifted um, into Mm -hmm. something a bit different. But that's also when she overheard, you know, him saying that she's the last person he would ever marry, blah, blah, blah. Um, But anyways, like, I think it just, like, the whole idea of, like, scars that, you know, Astrid has and then the scars that um, Thane has on the outside. Um, It's just, like, very telling and, like, everyone carries their own scars and, like, you don't know what anyone's going through and, like, he didn't know how awful that situation with Beaumont left her and like how like her mentality and like her mental health and everything else of what was going on with her being ostracized and everything going on with that situation, how that left her so scarred. And while you can't see her scars, they're still very much there. And like, I think that's another monster of the story is that like, the unseeing scars also cause a lot of, like, issues that people have to deal with and, like, overcome in order to achieve that happily ever after. Because Beaumont is still pretty much prevalent in Astrid's life. Also, the idea of her being ruined in society has pretty much been following her for 10 years. And it's just, yeah, her scars were pretty deep as well. You just couldn't see them. And her love for him, um, as you said, is, like, a big part of why he starts seeing himself as worthy yeah um and there's like a really great part where she defends him um because I don't remember exactly where they are but someone says oh my god look at you you're shaking and she's like I'm not shaking in fear and he says he says god this woman Thane was so fucking proud of her in that moment he wanted to crush her to him fall to his knees and worship her as she deserved his own avenging angel. Others saw it too. He could see the sheen of tears in his aunt's eyes and the surprise in Lady Ashley's. He ignored the disgust in everyone else's as if it was so inconceivable that a living, breathing woman would feel anything but revulsion for him. Thane felt an odd sensation in his chest as if the organ that used to be there had suddenly started working. Girl, that quote is saved, favorited, and everything in my phone. Yeah, because it kind of goes, too, with how they both feel admiration for each other, too. Like, this is not necessarily sexual. He's just, like, so proud of what she's doing, of her just 
standing up for herself and being like, no, you're not gonna make me into what you think I am. I'm who I want to be. I'm not scared of him. This is the future that I want. You're not gonna choose for me. You're mm -hmm. not gonna make me into your puppet. That's not happening. And I just love that he called her like his own avenging angel because like in a sense, like obviously, not in a sense, she did save him. She saved him yeah. from the path he was on, which was literally a life of loneliness and self-hatred and loathing. And she is his avenging angel. And like, I love the word like avenging as well because she is also fighting for him and fighting with him. And like to get that future that they both want. Obviously, he didn't know that he wanted it then, but, like, he lo knows later on that he wants her in his life. And, like, I just love them. I just loved it. And I love that she made that little, like, yeah, that's not the reason why I'm shaking. Like, this girl is, like, she's making all the sexual innuendos as she could to shut everyone up. I also, like, I've, I've written, I've written a couple times about, um, like, a few essays about um, how women are a propeller of change in a very masculine environment mm -hmm. and I feel like you see that in this book with how stale his environment is because his house is like dusty there's no feminine touch to it yeah it's kind of dead I read a book not long ago called Fate Star um, by Elizabeth Vaughn I think it was and it's kind of similar in the sense that the guy in that in that book um, there's like a tragedy that happens and his castle kind of goes to ruin. No one is allowed to enter it. It's dusty. It's dead. There's still blood stains on the floor. And as the woman enters his environment, she starts changing it. Um, and I think you see that in this book too, where the, the environment sort of slowly comes to life. And what happens, especially when you have very alpha male like this that are tortured and have this past and they feel like they don't need, they don't deserve happiness is that they don't like it. Like they push against that change because it, they're scared of it. You know what yeah. I mean? They're scared of what it means. And there's actually a quote that I thought kind of worked with that because he says, she asks why he want her to stay. And he's like, oh, just because of the auction? And she's like, is that the other, the only reason? And he mm -hmm. replies, what other reason would there be? He shot back, needlessly vexed, that you and your sister stormed into my perfectly ordered life and left nothing but a mayhem in your wake, that I happened to enjoy my existence as it was before you decided to employ a woman-shaped hammer to it. Um... He stood, breathing heavily, unwilling to meet her eyes, because he, he had no doubt she would see right through his bluster, right through his lies. So he's saying, like, oh, my life before you was so fine. I was so happy. I had everything I wanted. You're just changing it. I'm not liking that. You're making it into chaos. And the chaos that's happening is happening on the inside of him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not the actual environment. What he's describing is his own turmoil his yeah. own emotions that are just starting to you know like he's sort of overwhelmed by them because she's exactly. bringing in this change and he's like I'm scared of this so I'm gonna push it away I'm gonna pretend like I don't want it I'm gonna pretend like my life before you was fine but turns out it really wasn't <laughs> yeah no and I think it also is like the um the idea of change like a lot of people reject change because they're comfortable in the way that they were living and Thane was very much comfortable with living alone and being alone and like 
in his little bubble of, like, loneliness, he was comfortable in that. And, like, Astrid, like, constantly being there. And he calls her a woman-shaped hammer because she's hammering away at, like, the box that he built himself in. And, like, she, like, he's not comfortable, obviously, with the idea of, like, changing his ways. Like, he is comfortable in what he built for himself. And the idea of, like, maybe something more is just so out there for him right now. And he doesn't think that it's achievable. And, like, he just doesn't want to even think it's achievable. I think there's comfort in not changing your life, as you said, but I kind of think that it's also pretend comfort. Like, you think you're happy, you think you're fine, but you're really not. You know what I mean? Like, you're just convincing yourself that you're No, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, he was not, um, yeah, he was not at all comfortable. He was living a pretty bad life. And, like, sure, he had, like, all the money and, like, everything that you could want to live a life. He just wasn't living life. He was just surviving. Yeah, and and you have, you can see the physical um, repercussions of her presence in his life because he starts feeling better physically. His scars don't hurt as much anymore. Yeah, he says that, too. His physician is like, I think that just having living a happier life and having happier people in your environment that is like a good thing for you it's helping you the pain oh, yeah. is not as much because you're happy and i think that's for literally anyone and even like for us as well like we may be comfortable in like a certain way like we like things a certain way but like you still need people that love you and care for you and like I think as Thane, he, like, doesn't see that as something that could happen. And, like, once he has it with Astrid and maybe even Isabel, um, he's like, wait, this is actually, this is what true happiness is. This is what, this is how people should be living their lives. And, like, I just, I love how um, Emily Howard dealt with Thane's growth as a character. Yeah, and um, even, like, him dealing with, um, his trauma because they talk about war at some point and he says uh, she says war is a terrible thing he nodded his scar he nodded <laughs> later on <laughs> he nodded his scars pulling tight on his scalp and along his ribcage the tug of lust faded away only to be replaced by ghosts Mm-hmm. Phantom pain fired along his nerve endings. The cuts of a thousand bayonet bayonets bayonets I cannot say that word bayonets blooming. His lifeblood seeping away and the burn of a blade and the agonizing tug of a thread. He acknowledged the pain, felt each one of his scars, but for the first time since he'd returned to England, he did not feel like burying himself six feet deep. You know, like, for the first time, he actually wants to live. He actually doesn't just exist. He wants to live and be. I know, and cue heartache. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just felt like his character was just so sad. And, like, just, like, it pulled on all the heartstrings for me, at least. Because, like, he he doesn't see himself the way she does, and... No matter how many times she tells him, you're worthy, I love you, like, you are an amazing man, he's never going to believe it until he learns to love himself and learns to appreciate who he is today because 
he still sees himself as the things that he lost. He lost his looks. He lost his friends, his family. His own dad died because of a heart attack by just looking at his face. It's just he still looks at the things he lost, not of uh, in the past, but not as who he is today. And he needed to love himself and be happy with who he is as a person in order to achieve full happiness, which I think was another monster in itself, not loving yourself. His pride is another monster for him. Besides like his trauma, pride yeah. is a big issue for him. That's a big part of why he doesn't accept her. He's He, he can't bear to have her turn him away. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's also due in part that everyone else had turned away from him besides the people who yeah. paid him, who, the people who he paid and also his aunt. He literally had no one else. So he's like, ah, oh, she's probably going to turn away too. So why even try? That's another monster I want to talk about because society in itself is a monster in the story, both from the feminist perspective, but also yes. from the perspective of Thane. First of all, I just have a, a quote about how society is part of the monster. Um, it's Astrid that's saying, yeah. well, she's not saying, she's thinking. People always assumed that if someone looked like a monster, then they had to be monstrous. But as crude and abrasive as he was, Astrid did not feel endangered in his presence. And that's how, like, for Thane, the society is a, is a monster. Because as I said before, the reason why he got his scars should not be something that people are disgusted by. should not warrant people turning away from him in fear. Mm -hmm. And yet they do. Yeah. Because what he's done means nothing to them. They're just a bunch of rich-ass people that did not go to war, did not care, did not feel the repercussions of war at all. And here he is. He's felt them. He literally has the scars to prove it. And everyone's turning away from him. No one cares. And then for Astrid, society is also obviously a monster in the sense that it's a very restrictive um, society for women. Just like from the feminist perspective that this book is clearly aiming for, mm -hmm. society... Like, like she, all her little monologues throughout the book are like are all about how society. Like she's in the position that she's in because society made her, made it that way. Yes. Because society wants her to be in this position where she can like her only way out is marriage. She's she can't own a property. She can't own yeah. herself. She's yeah. owned by a man. Yeah. Um, like, and I just think that that's obviously another big monster in this story is is society no and i agree like society patriarchy. is just, <laughs> yeah it, yeah more or less it's patriarchy for astrid but like the idea that women can't be more is just like it's mm -hmm. obviously it's mind-boggling to me but like it does it had happened in the past and it's still happening to this day and it's just mm -hmm. it's like i love the way she talks about it and she educates him about like how women should be more like, they're not just broodmares. They're not just, like, you know, incubators for babies, for heirs. Like, she is more. And, like, the way mm -hmm. she talks about, um, like, how her father taught her how to shoot. And um, he's, like, he indulged you. And then she says, I prefer to think that he gave me a fighting chance to stand up on equal footing with other men. And then he says, you are a lady, Astrid, not a man. Her eyes flashed and she, her chin rose. Both signs that she was ready to do battle. And that gives me the right to be inferiorly educated, to be treated as the weaker sex, 
to be discounted at every turn, to excel at waltzing and whimsy, she said the last three words with so much heated contempt. Contempt. It was a wonder they did not cinder the nearest shrubs. That's the way the world works, he says. And then, not that Thane agreed, women in other communities across the globe had different roles, fought as hard as their men, and were treated on near equal footing. His own mother had not been a weakling. She wouldn't have survived, not with a father like his. The Duchess of Beswick had understood her role, but she had not let society's rules govern her. Much like his aunt Mabel, Thane smiled inside. Female revolutionaries surrounded him, it seemed. So, yeah, I just love that the idea that, you know, he is, he's lived with feminist women his whole life. And I love that he just, not that he doesn't understand where she's coming from, he does. He just wants to hear what else she has to say about, like, you know, the situation. And, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> also, also is willing to acknowledge that it's not the way it's happening everywhere else. Exactly. Like, this is how it's going on. Like, this is how... It is here, but just because it's how it's here is not the right way necessarily. Like exactly. Um, there's also another part where he tells her, like, "Why are you re- wearing red? Like that's a color for a fallen woman." And later on, oh, yes. he thinks he said he in his head um, says people judged him on what they saw, and they judged her on what they thought she'd done. Mm-hmm. Astrid had clearly been the root of a scandal. She'd admitted as much. But whether or not the accusations were true, who was he to punish her for them? And it's like, yeah. he realizes, like, who am I? Like, just because I'm a man means I can, you know, punish her for it, tell her what to wear, tell her what to do, tell her what to say? No. I, that's why I think, like, Thane's character was such a great one because, like, yeah, he was a tortured soul. Yeah, he, like, he spoke to, like, all of my things I like in a you know, a main character, but he also was Mm -hmm. such a strong, like, sure of his gender man, like, I just, I loved who he was as a person, and I love that he gave Astrid the space to be who she was, because if he was anyone else, like, they would have, like, tried to get rid of, like, the feminist aspect of Astrid, and, like, that's literally who she is, she's a feminist first, she believes that women deserve more in society, and, like, I love that, Mm -hmm. You know, like, he fully was on board with, like, her vision and, like, wanted her to live the best life that she could. Just, I, I said it again and I'll say it again. I just love Thane. Yeah, because, like I said in the beginning, historical romance has always been about tearing down the patriarchy. Yes. Except now you have on page, not, well, not just the women saying these things, but also the men coming to this realization themselves. They have an advantage. They are born with an advantage. They are born with power. They are born with independence. They are born belonging to themselves. Women don't. And so now you actually have men on page realizing this. And it is a great thing. I think it's such a powerful thing (laughs) to have. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that. I think it's a powerful thing to have male characters voice their own opinion on, like, the treatment of women in their society. Because, like you said, it's not something that we, like, we got beforehand. Like, we, we did, but it wasn't, like, it was more implied. It wasn't, like, as, like, in your face. But I enjoy, mm-hmm. in this book in particular, that it was vocalized and, like, very much, like, cemented into the story about, like, you know, the male perspective on feminism and also, like, their own benefits in society and, like, how much they 
you know, are worth, quote unquote, worth more than women in like English society. I think I think in older books, it's just more subtle in the sense that yeah, it's oftentimes just depicted by having on page this uber alpha male who by the end of the story is literally on his knees banging this woman. You know what I mean? Like that is how you sort of, um, it's, I mean, it's essentially just like a metaphor for bringing down the patriarchy. Like it's just, you have the most manly men you can think of. And then this manly man is nothing if not for this woman in his life. Like he, he would be nothing without her, nothing. He would be just shattered on the floor useless <laughs> and that's, that's kind of how it was done but I like that now you have options like you can actually exactly. read books where men come to this realization and it feels very good as a woman yes I agree and I yeah I just this book was very very good and like all I think in all aspects of it not just the romance also the feminist aspect also like and the, like, I guess you can go the revenge aspect as well with um, with Beaumont and also Thane because we know that Beaumont was, you know, a deserter, but society thinks him a hero, which he really wasn't at all, never. Um, I love that in that sense that Thane got that fulfillment of petition. What did he do again? He got the Prince Regent to um, investigate him and he lost all of his yeah. riches. Yes, I love that he got that sense of fulfillment as well because, yo, Beaumont did not deserve that title, did not deserve that money. The man deserted. Well, I just want to say that I was teased with the idea of a spanking. Oh my gosh, me too! It did not deliver, and I was mad. You do not tease me with a spanking and then don't deliver. I was, yeah, same. And they were both, like, attracted to that idea, so why was it not included? Right? Like what? Where is my spanking scene? Where is it? Why? Why do you just mention it and then don't have it in the book? Please stop doing that, authors. It really breaks my heart. <laughs> Gives me real I, high expectations and then you don't deliver. <laughs> you know, in historical romances, when um, the idea of like a name, like saying the given name, their Christian name, is so like yes. important. So like in this book, it had like everything that I wanted. In the, in the terms of, like, saying his name. And I'm telling you, I loved when um, she said his name once. And then he's like, oh, I love it. I need to hear it again. And she keeps calling him Bezik or Duke or Your Grace. And then, like, he literally yeah. says, say my name. And then she obviously says Thane, but then she goes back. And then, like, <sighs> I just love it. I love that he's, like, stressing I- that she's not saying his name. But it's also funny when she actually says his real name, she calls him Nathaniel, and he's like, never say that again. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was too much. That was too far. <laughs> but then it also, like, brings into um, the idea. Hold on. So she says, um, I don't have any clothing appropriate for dinner, Bezik. And then he's like, Thane. And then she's like, not Nathaniel, she asks with a smile. And then her husband grimaced. Like, he legit cringed. Not if you yeah. value your tongue. <laughs> and then he, and then she says, why do you hate it? It's a lovely name. And then, like, he goes on as to how, like, he never felt like he fit the name Nathaniel. And, like, Thane has always yeah. felt, like, more himself. And, like, yeah, yeah, loved it. 
thing fits him and then too. He buys her a dress. The dress. I was not the expecting dress. that when she. What? Well, yeah, when she walks into the room, oh, and she sees yeah. the dress, and the 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 lady maid is like, "Oh, it's he bought it for you, whatever." And yeah. I'm like, oh my god, he bought her a dress. I know. <laughs> Okay, so I'm also, like, okay, so the idea of, like, the name, I'm still back to the name, um, like, with him really wanting to hear Thane from her lips, like, I think it also is in due in part that, like, he only, he's only been known as the Beast, and, like, I think it's him owning his name again, like, recognizing, my name is Thane, please call me by my name, I'm not the Beast, I'm not the infamous Beast of Bezik, I am Thane, and, like, he just wants to hear her say his name, and, like, Make him seem human. Because even, like, his servants, obviously, they have to call him your grace. But he hasn't probably heard his name in a long time. Except, like, in his head. And I think that really, I don't know, that scene really resonated with me. Like, I know it was more like, ooh, just say my name because, like, I want to hear my name, like, Mm -hmm. come from your mouth. But it was also, I think, him trying to reclaim himself. And similarly, whenever Beaumont would call Astrid Astrid, she was like, it's your grace. Mm -hmm. I loved how she would always, you know, like, make him remember the fact that, no, 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 no. I'm above you now. I'm your grace. You do not address me like we know each other. You do not address me like we are uh, on any sort of relation, like we have any sort of relationship together. We don't like each other. You call me your grace. And I just like, yes. Girl. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I love how she handled that situation. And I love that, like, she didn't expect anyone to help her with it. She's like, no, I got this. Okay. Like, he's a, he's a monster in himself. And, like, I could just handle it. And just, she put him in his place all the time. And I just, I loved how she just did it. <laughs> I mean, okay. So, would you like to switch places with any of the characters in this story? I don't know that I would. Is that weird? You wouldn't? I don't think it's weird. Why Why wouldn't you, though? I don't, necess- like, necessarily identify with Astrid. And what, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think she's awesome, but I don't know that I necessarily would want her life. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I don't know that I would fit in it, if that makes sense. Maybe because... No, I, I totally agree. Like, she's very... I don't know. I don't know. Like, I love... Thane, but not to the point where I'm like, I would want to be his girl, personally. Yeah. No, I I love Thane, and I would do whatever I could to be with him. I just think he's such a hot man, and, like, such a great character, and very multi-layered. Um, but personally, for me, I felt like Astrid's character um, is not me. And, like, that's obviously, like, you know, any book that I read. Like, I feel like you do see yourself in characters, and I did see, like, some aspects that I could relate to with Astrid, but at the same time, her intelligence and her passions are, like, very different than my own. And, like, I think for me to be a woman that Thane would love, I would have to be identical to Astrid, and, like, that just would not happen. I don't have a passion for antiques. I don't have, like, a smart and witty brain like Astrid, so, like, I think it would be hard Mm -hmm. for me to live, as you said, her life. Plus, like, I always joke that like, I was born to live in the 1800s, but, like, it is not an easy time for women. <laughs> I don't think I actually would. <laughs> no, it's not. Especially, like, people of color. For me, oh, if I were living yeah. in England, I I don't know how that would go. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, so I think that's it. 
Is there any um, lasting quotes you want to talk about? It's 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 when he they're in his uh, greenhouse and he's aware that he did that because he thought it would like show her who he is um and he realizes it doesn't or he thinks it it doesn't and he says um uh fear was a devil with sharp claws and large teeth and it was relentless had he truly thought showing her this would make her forget what he looked like who i've become what had he been thinking? Letting her in wasn't some miracle that would suddenly turn him into a better man. He was and would always be a beast. Someone mm -hmm. to be reviled and isolated. Keeping people at arm's length was what he did, who he was. He just self-sabotages his own happiness. And it's like, it's so sad because yeah. like he overthinks things and it's just like, you don't need to. <laughs> like... She's there because she wants to spend time with you. Yeah, he. she says, like, I'm here for safe refuge. And he's like, safe refuge? Thane nearly hooted with laughter. People didn't run to him. They ran from him. I the know. beast of Bezik did not harbor young innocence, nor was he the hero in any story. He was a recluse, a monster of a man, and a beast by all accounts. So he's like, safe refuge with me? No, that doesn't happen in my story. He, he, he sees himself as the villain. And it's like, no, you are the, you are the prince. You just don't see it. And it just hurts my heart because there's so many times where he self-doubts and like his monsters just like come for him. And he's just like, no, this she doesn't see me that way. She never will see me that way. And it's just... She does, and she will. She loves you. She wants to spend time with you. And, like, I love it. Even, like, another line that I have. I have two that I want to share. But um, he says, you are extraordinary. He said, shaking his head. How is it that you see promise in the things that most people want to discard? And then she says, just because something is fractured doesn't mean it has lost its value. And then they both, I think he was thinking um, that they were talking about something else entirely. And obviously they were talking about him because, you know, he sees himself as beyond repair. He's ruined and that's it. Like there's no hope for him. But she sees him as someone that's worth, you know, saving and worth, you know, finding its value again. Yeah, you, when you say like he thinks he's the villain of the story, there's a great line when she thanks him for what he's done for her and Isabel and he he like it says Thane's chest cl clenched at her words for once he was the hero instead of the villain of the story mm -hmm. he'd forgotten what it felt like to be truly esteemed for a moment he found himself choked with emotion you're welcome yeah like what he did for her was the first time he actually saw himself as not the villain yeah I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And, like, sorry, I'm going back to the mask scene. But, like, even down to, like, the point where, like, he thought the mask was hiding his ugliness. But, like, in yeah. fact, the mask was kind of, like, the ugliness. Like, it was hiding. Not the ugliness, but it was hiding him. Like, it was... She, he just wasn't visible behind the mask, which obviously, like, figuratively and li literally, like, yeah, he was not. Um, but then when she takes off his mask, she says, there you are, she whispered. And then he says, 
I'm not certain that what's underneath isn't more monstrous than the mask. And then she tells him, don't do that. Her fingers dropping the mask and returning to cup his jaw. You're you. And then she says in her head, he was the only man she wanted to kiss her. The only thing that mattered was this moment and the two of them in this moment. I think that it was like for him, it was shock that she wanted to see the face that was that deemed him a, a beast and a monster. And it's just like she doesn't see you as a monster. She never had seen him as a monster, even at the beginning of the book. She never saw him as a beast. Yeah, and I just want to say that so far, all the books we've read have had, like, like men that are obviously hot, like, and would be hot to anyone that sees them, including Mr. Lord Death. He was very hot. Oh, Lord <laughs> and Death. And this is the first time that we have a, man, a male character where the girl's like, no, he's not even handsome by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm like, I like that. I like when the man is, is not... Me too. You know, handsome or whatever. Like, give me... Give me the ones that aren't, you know, a Hollywood star-looking men. <laughs> Although I will say that his yeah. lips were the only thing on his face that was left unscarred or unscathed. And, like, they sounded so beautiful. Like, they were, like, plump and luscious and pouty. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I bet you he had the lips of Tom Hardy. You know, that, I was going like, to say, that that, I like, think he had the lips of Adam Driver and like, The Last Jedi. I mean, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Tom Hardy. Like, imagine the best lips on a man that you've ever seen. Tom Hardy has such nice lips. Ugh, uh, right? Like, it should be illegal. Have you seen his version of Wuthering Heights? I haven't watched that. <gasps> Marge, you have to watch it. Oh, him as Heathcliff. Oh. I just fucking hate weathering heights i know you do with a passion it's a love-hate relationship for me i understand that i here i am on a podcast saying i love monsters but like i'm hating on heatcliff like it doesn't make sense who am i yeah but oh my god that fucking book man it nothing has ever frustrated me more than that book. <laughs> i will watch the movie though one day i promise okay it it's not a movie it's like a mini series or I think there was two episodes. I'm not too sure. I haven't watched it in a while, to be honest. Are we ready to uh, close this episode? Yeah. Let's let's end it. All right. So this is it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of The Beast of Bezik by Emily Howard. Um, next week, we are reading Wicked Deeds on a Winter's Night by Cressley Cole. We're back on our Immortals After Dark train. <laughs> Choo, we'll be choo. back with us to discuss that one. <laughs> yeah. Choo, choo. <laughs> um, yeah, you can follow us at um, the RTM pod on Twitter or the you know, Romance and the Monsters podcast on Instagram. You can also email us at Romance and the Monsters podcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at Frozen Lovers on both Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow me, Saf, on Instagram and Twitter at Pros with Woes. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And that is all. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>